0: Hi, this is Jim Lyon, and you're listening to Viewpoint. And with me today in our Viewpoint studio, the astonishing, the amazing, the extraordinary Jamie Wilkerson. How are you today, Jamie? I'm doing great. Hey, thanks for coming (laughs) alongside. And we're especially glad to see you today because I know that you're in a season of a particular discipline that is waking you up very early in the morning, maybe even before there is light in the day. And you're traveling outside of your house to observe a powerful discipline. What are you doing? It's 21 days of what?
1: 21 days of prayer. I've been participating in 21 days. So as I
0: understand it, there's a particular place where community is gathering people from all kinds of different places. They're coming together every morning early, like starting at six o'clock. That's right. And uh, engaged in prayer. Yes. And when we say prayer, they are praying about personal things or global things or what?
1: We are praying for our nation, for the world. And of course, we bring personal needs and needs of our families and neighbors and you know, our community.
0: There isn't anything beyond the reach of prayer. That's right. And you're bringing it all to the table. Yes. And it's been an exciting and life-giving thing for you. That's my sense. Oh, yes. Even though you have to get up and leave the house by 5.15.
1: Oh, yes. <laughs> but my <laughs> 11-year-old son enjoys it. And also, he's going to children there and teens and college students, all ages. So, wow. yeah,
0: that sounds very exciting. And, uh, you know, we're going to explore that some more in our CBH uh, studio down the road. But for today, thanks for being alongside. And we're today going to consider some very ancient words that speak into the present day. And uh, they're words spoken a long time ago into the ancient Roman world. And we believe that they still have power to speak into this very modern world. Jamie, at any time in your life, were you ever into those kind of like epic dramas that Hollywood produced, like Spartacus, let's say, or uh, maybe Cleopatra, or these these big epic films that were set in the ancient Roman world. Did you ever watch any of those? Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, can you see the, the flowing togas? Oh, yes. And, <laughs> and the kind of California-like climate and oh, all the yeah. spectacle, the mm-hmm. drama, the, yes. the kind of uh, almost mythic impressions we have visually of that mm. epic in history. And yet it was a real time. It was a real world. And we still are informed by some of the writing And the wisdom of that age. And uh, this week on Viewpoint, we're starting a new series that's going to talk about 21st century neighborhoods. But we're going to do that through the lens of some neighborhoods 20 centuries ago in that part of the world that Rome governed in the Mediterranean Basin. Jamie, you and I both know that Jesus had 12 disciples, right? Yes. And uh, some of them are pretty famous. Everybody knows the name Peter, I think. How about James? Oh, yeah. I'm for it. That's my name. <laughs> and uh, there was Philip and Nathaniel and Matthew. Yes. I mean, there's a whole collection of these names that still stand out in history. Mm-hmm. Of the 12 disciples, which one lived the longest, do you think?
1: Was it John?
0: John. He's the guy who outlived all the rest. Everyone else died prematurely, we might say. I mean, Mm -hmm. Judas was one of the 12, and he took his own life. Mm -hmm. But the others were all murdered for their faith because they dared to believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. They were murdered, except John. So far as we know, John lived to an old age and died of a natural cause. That's not the same as saying that he lived easily because... His world was very tumultuous. He lived in ancient Rome. There were times during his life when the Roman government persecuted people who believed what he believed. That's why many of his friends died. He was exiled. He was imprisoned. He was beaten. He Mm -hmm. suffered greatly. But he did live until an old age. And as he aged, he began to write. And several books in the New Testament have been penned by John, famously his Gospel, Yes. There are three letters that bear his name. We call those 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then there's that last book of the Bible. Jamie, what is it?
1: The Revelation of John. The Revelation
0: of John. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a word that John presented to the world as actually coming from Jesus. He says, I was on the Lord's Day, on a Sunday, I was praying, just as you have been in the mornings yes. early. He said, I was deep into prayer, I was focused on on God through his son, Jesus, and And suddenly, I saw him. In fact, he says, I saw heaven opened. And in that window, in that doorway, he is exposed to thoughts and words and teaching and images that still, still today are the subject of people's wrestling in Are thinking, you know, what did he mean by that? And what picture does that really represent? And for many centuries, people have argued and debated about what are those words, those images that John captured in the book called The Revelation. What do they actually mean? In the first part of the book, though, before he gets into what we might call apocalyptic literature, he has some words for particular cities, for churches that are in cities. These are called the Seven Churches of Asia. That's what we want to visit. They were seven neighborhoods. Seven ancient communities where there was a presence of people who followed Jesus, and Jesus himself, by John's testimony, appeared and spoke to John and said, Now, write this down, because I've got these messages for these people in these seven neighborhoods, these seven communities, these seven ancient cities. And we are today going to start that series, taking them one by one, week by week. And the first one up is in Revelation chapter 2, and it's a letter to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus, there's a city, there's a name. Let's see what Jesus had to say to Ephesus, and also try and imagine, if Jesus were speaking today, what city would Ephesus be? What 21st century neighborhood would be the one to which Jesus was speaking Jamie, let's look at first what Jesus said. This is Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to start off with verse 1, then pick it up and tell us what Jesus actually said to the church in Ephesus. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus, Jesus said. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. Here Jesus is talking in a vision to John the Apostle. And uh, he's describing himself, Jesus is in his own words, as one who's in a heavenly realm. And he's in a very sacred space. And he's walking among the seven gold lampstands. This has uh, imagery that goes back to the Old Testament temple. And it speaks about that holy place where God is. And Jesus is speaking from there. And he says to John, now write down these words, because I want my people in Ephesus to hear them. And what does he say beginning in verse 2?
1: I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you you don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God.
0: In a red-letter Bible, which puts in red letters the words of Jesus, this is all in the red letters. This is not John talking. This is Jesus talking. John's got the pen in his hand, but Jesus is talking. And he's speaking to a particular group of people, but we believe in the Scripture, whenever the word is committed to the paper, it also has a larger audience in mind. And so while this is originally written to the church at Ephesus, it's really written for all of us. Ephesus, we've all heard of it. Famous in the New Testament because there's a book called Ephesians. That was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. Here we have Jesus speaking directly to the church in Ephesus. Have you heard of Ephesus, Jamie?
1: Yes, I have. <laughs> I,
0: mean, I mean, can you imagine? What's it famous for? Do you know what it was famous for in the ancient world?
1: I, it was famous for one of the wonders of the world.
0: That's right, one of the seven wonders of the the ancient world was called Mm -hmm. the Temple of Diana or Mm -hmm. Artemis. Artemis Mm -hmm. and Diana are different names for the same deity. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was a remarkable character that was widely worshipped throughout the ancient world. And, And people believe that Ephesus was the place where she came to earth, so to speak, where she fell to the ground. And so there's a big temple there and people from all around the world, if they had the means and the time would come to Ephesus because this This temple temple of Diana, this temple of Artemis, Mm -hmm. was so beautiful. The architecture, the spectacle of it, was the stuff of postcards and films. Of course, they didn't have those in in the ancient world, but that's how people imagined it. And Ephesus itself was a fabulously wealthy place that had so much art and literature and culture. The ancient ruin of Ephesus today, which is in the modern nation-state of Turkey, is one of the best preserved and spectacular sweeps of Roman ancient architecture still existing and you can walk down the streets just like they did in the New Testament world. You can see the library of Ephesus uh, which still stands the facade of it. It's just it's jaw dropping. The architecture and the and the wonder of it and the and the skilled technology of the day that could create that that kind of building space and and the way the city was laid out and and the plumbing and and the public health systems the drainage even from the sewers and things that we think of as kind of modern developments they had fresh running water always flushing through the sewers of Ephesus to keep the city clean in a way that it's hard for us to imagine that 20 centuries ago people had all that in play the famous colosseum or or amphitheater of of Ephesus, where mm-hmm. great, great meetings would be held, and I mean, there's just so much there. I'm trying to think, uh, Jamie, if I, if I could make Ephesus in the modern world, is there a modern equivalent to that? What city do you think, if I said these things, what comes to your mind? Spectacular imagery of architecture that had grace and beauty that the whole world knows. Someday, we hope, I can see that for myself postcards and and a kind of romance, a, a, a certain sense of culture and refined taste. I mean, if, if you could name a city in the world, what comes to mind?
1: What comes to mind is the city of Paris. Paris? The city well, of romance. I'm, I'm for it. Have you been to Paris? <laughs> yes, I have. Okay, so
0: when we go to Paris, what just name something that you go to see.
1: Of course, the Eiffel Tower. And I will have to say, beyond just sightseeing, I wanted to taste... You know, the foods that Paris is known for. The cuisine. The, yeah, I mean, yes, the, the restaurants
0: and the sidewalk cafes and those oh, yes. broad avenues and tree-lined streets. Mm-hmm. I mean, they kind of wrote the book on that kind of, of mm-hmm. urban planning, haven't they? Yes. And the Eiffel Tower, which was built for a world exposition in the late 19th century when it was constructed, actually, the Parisians thought it was ugly and they wanted to tear it down. But now, of course, it's the iconic emblem of what they call the City of Light. Mm-hmm. I am a fan of the Champs-Élysées, the Haute de Triomphe, the Place de la Concorde, the Louvre. Of course, Notre Dame, the great cathedral, has uh, suffered fire, but still a jaw-dropping image on the horizon. I mean, there's so much about Paris. Did you did you go to the top of the the mountain where there's that great uh, cathedral called the Sacre Cure uh, at the top and it overlooks the whole city of Paris? And you can go up there and you can see it all at a glance in the river, Seine. I mean, Paris... Bingo is the Ephesus of the modern world. That's oh, what I yeah. think.
1: I think so, too.
0: So when we think about the words of Jesus speaking to the church at Ephesus, we might think, oh, that's old news. That's that's way back then. What difference does that make today? Because Ephesus is today a dead city. Nobody lives in Ephesus anymore. It's It's a tourist destination for people to see ancient Roman ruins. The huge metropolis that it once was is a long-ago faded memory. But if you took these words— and you imagine them being written to a church in Paris, you'd have an exact match. Mm -hmm. And actually, not just to Paris, but to all of us. Because even though in the world of today, many of our listeners, Jamie, I'm going to guess, have not been to Paris, or maybe will never visit there, when we say Paris, everyone can visualize exactly what we mean. There isn't anyone listening to us that can't visualize the Eiffel Tower when we say it, or can't visualize the Arc de Triomphe when we say it or the Champs-Elysees, or these iconic visions of the city. We all know what Paris is, and the words written 20 centuries ago to Ephesus might as well have been written to Paris today, actually written to all of us today. Let's see what they actually say. How do they apply, not to just ancient Ephesus, but to those of us who still, well, think about that city of romance, Paris itself. Jamie, did you know that Jesus gave a lot of praise to the people who lived in ancient Ephesus, just like he might to some of the followers of Jesus in Paris today, or to any of us who honor Jesus as Lord? There are words of praise. They're steadfast. They don't cave uh, in the face of difficulty. They're not quitters, uh, he said. But he talks about how they have lost their first love. Let's, Let's stop there for a minute. So when I think about Paris, I think about Strolling with my wife under springtime mm-hmm. blossoms, yes. or that sidewalk cafe—just like you said—it has oh, a yes. certain romance about it, doesn't it?
1: Oh, yes, it does.
0: How long have you been married to your handsome Jesse Wilkerson?
1: We've been married for fifteen years. No, yes, So no, fifteen. <laughs> yes, we are.
0: Well, I'm going to guess that in fifteen years, uh, you have learned some thing about romance with Jesse Wilkerson. Yes, I mean you could probably remember the first time you saw him or when you went out for dinner that first time or, I mean, things like that, right? Oh, yes, I can. <laughs> so give me a glimpse. What's the first thing you noticed about him? What, what's one of the first things that you thought? I'm, well, I'm interested in this guy.
1: Okay, so one of the first things I thought about was how attentive he was. He listened to every word. That came out of my mouth.
0: (laughs) At the beginning.
1: (laughs) At the beginning.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So 15 years on, maybe not every time now, but at the beginning, that's what it was. I mean, don't we all have that? I've been married 41 years this year. Wow. And I can tell you exactly when I first saw my wife and so on. But the truth is, in those early days, there's a certain rush, isn't there? There's a a buzz. There's a a focus. Mm -hmm. He's listening to everything you say because he's completely devoted to you and you're listening to what he says too you're paying attention to his gestures and i mean that's part of it isn't it that's that's part of the that's romance that's part of it yeah but what happens when we get into life ongoing over time can you think of a time when maybe you thought Well, he's not paying attention to me so much.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Do I have to say?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, everybody. Oh, yeah. We all are witnesses to that. It's the natural course of relationships. Mm -hmm. And isn't that what Jesus is talking about right here to that church in ancient Ephesus, or maybe you might say modern Paris, or to any of us? When I'm in Paris, I want to hold hands and sneak a kiss under the cherry tree and have Café dinner in the twilight on one of those broad boulevards. I want to stroll underneath the shadow of the Eiffel Tower. I want to sit by the fountain. I want to go to the opera. Those are things that my first love calls out of me. And if you lived in ancient Ephesus, there'd be some first loves too. It was close to the Mediterranean coast, uh, beautiful weather, blue sky, temperate breezes, Gorgeous architecture, Mm -hmm. public spaces, people and things to do and places to visit. That idea of first love, Jesus said, my relationship with you, my children, is like that. But my problem is, you're kind of taking me for granted now. You're not doing uh, the same things you used to do when we first strolled the streets of Paris. You're not hanging on to me like we did when we met on that corner in ancient Ephesus oh, I wish that you would return to your devotion to me so that I wasn't the also-ran, but I was more front and center in your lives. One thing that Jesus says to them is, I'm so glad you're not mixed up with the Nicolaitans. And he's referring there to an ancient uh, premise, which is still fresh today too, where people attempted to honor Jesus and and to acknowledge that he was Lord, but at the same time embrace lifestyles that he would not approve. And uh, that was a thing in ancient Ephesus, in the ancient world. People would be introduced to Jesus and they would say, wow, and they might even see the miraculous touch of Jesus. They might understand what it is to be forgiven by Jesus and not have shame anymore. But they also are drawn to the things of this world, and they, they want to play on a different field where Jesus will not play. And they thought they could be on both teams, and he said, no, you, you can't be with the Nicolaitans and with me. You have to make a choice, and that's still true for us today. And whether you live in Paris or in Main Street USA or in a small town on another continent or a big city in another part of the world, wherever you are, you can't be on two teams You have to have one love. You can't have multiple partners. You have to have one life partner. You have to put Jesus first. Did you notice what Jesus said, Jamie? If they refused to do it, if they just continued to play on like they didn't have to make him a priority, what did he say would happen?
1: He said he would come and remove their lampstand from its place among their churches.
0: And it's powerful imagery, isn't it? It is. Because we have a sense of Jesus standing in a room where there are lampstands, Uh, not just little table candles, but big candles on lamps. Of course, in the ancient world, that was the way in which light was given. And Mm -hmm. these churches are light. They are Mm -hmm. shining light like a lampstand. In a dark room, a church should be shining light. Even in a beautiful city like Paris, there are very dark corners. And Jesus said, if you are not making me your first love, if you are not honoring me today as you did on our honeymoon, I'm going to take your lampstand and pull it out because you're not shining my light. You're not going to be in the mix. You're not going to understand my favor or my presence. Because this relationship requires you to be all in, just like I'm all in. And in this, Jesus speaks to all of us, doesn't he, wherever we are?
1: Yes, he does.
0: I'd love to go back to Paris. How about you?
1: I would love to.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, you know, sometimes it's easy to strike up a little romance when you're in Paris, if I could just get my wife back there with me. Oh yeah. But what Jesus is speaking about is not just that special trip. Mm-hmm. It's about day to day. It's about waking up in the morning to go pray as you are. Yes. It's about making sure that you're paying attention to his words in the whole of the scripture. It's about the way in which we love one another and take care of the people of God and share the life of God with everyone we meet. It's about a daily commitment to putting Jesus first. That's where life is found, and wherever you are in life today, whatever your journey, we're not sure what your circumstances are, but we want you to know that Jesus is speaking to you, too. You don't have to be in a beautiful city like Ephesus in the ancient world or Paris in the modern one. He's still speaking to you, and he loves you. Our Father, we're so thankful today. We're so thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ, who has come into this world and speaks to us and longs for us and loves us. We're thankful for great cities like Ephesus and Paris that capture so much that's beautiful, but we know that it's not enough to be in a beautiful space. We must also be in the company of Jesus, Lord. We surrender into your hands. We ask for Jesus to forgive us and to cleanse us of our sin and to make us new, to recreate us and cause us to be born again. We ask, Lord, that we will be made worthy to be in his company and that we might love him, tomorrow as we do at the first, that we might sense the wonder of his presence and thirst and hunger for it day by day. And wherever this world takes us, whatever beautiful city to which we are drawn, or to whatever dusty road that we must walk, help us to do so with the light and wonder of Jesus. Keep our lampstand, Lord, shining brightly in heaven and here on earth. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed with us, if you're reaching out to Jesus with us, we want you to reach back to us and let us help you along the way. You can call us up 24 hours a day and seven days a week. We are right by the phone, a live voice to answer and to speak with you, to hear from you, to pray with you. Just dial this number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439, 24 hours a day. We're right by the phone. Please, give us a call. Jamie, if someone is not ready to call yet, though, they might think that's just too much, but they'd still like to touch base. How can they find us online?
1: They can go to cbhviewpoint.org.
0: That's at CBH, Christians Broadcasting Hope. That's who we are, cbhviewpoint.org. You can read about the ministry there. You can also send us an email, and we will reply, I promise, Or at the last, just send me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But whether you call us on the phone, check us out online, or use the post, please let us hear from you this week. Jamie, thanks for coming alongside, and come back again after you wake up in the morning at the crack of dawn and pray. (laughs) I will. And uh, we hope that you'll join us again, too, as we visit another city from the ancient world that has a new world parallel. Next week, as we walk through these ancient neighborhoods, these cities are neighborhoods. And Jesus wants us to be with him in our 21st century neighborhood, wherever you live. For all of us at the Viewpoint team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, this is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned.